At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Love High. My name is Florence Bog, and you are in exactly the right place today to hear everything that you want to know about love, relationships, breakups, being single, self-development, and all of that glorious stuff. So let's get in today's episode with Six the Astrologer. Hi my loves, welcome back to Love High. I'm so happy that you're here joining me today. In this episode, we're talking everything from being non-monogamous to actually deciding that you might potentially be monogamous. And what does that mean? There's so much to discuss with my guest today, who is a dear friend, Monisha Six, the astrologer. Before we get started as well, I just wanted to do a little kind of update as well because I feel like I've been in a bit of a strange place with everything when it comes to do with dating and my breakup and oh my god I actually can't believe sometimes you think that you're doing all good and then another wave hits you and it's it kind of it leaves you completely off guard because you thought that you were done with all your healing. Um, but last week I ended up in a really, really bad place again. I was so sad, really negative. I wasn't finding happiness in anything. I was also really lacking purpose and getting overwhelmed with everything that was happening in my life. And at the end of it, I kept going back to the fact that I was missing my ex sitting there missing my ex, thinking about him a lot. And I don't know whether that's because I was in a bad place and that's where my mind goes to, or was I in a bad place because of that? And I really was sitting there with a lot of the grief. It's been about a month since I stopped being friends with him after I came back from LA. And I spoke about that on the other episode, the one where my laptop first died and I did a random monologue. I I told you about the decision that I made to stop being friends. It's been about a month since then. And yeah, I guess I was just getting to the point where I was really starting to miss him again. And that was pretty jarring, to be honest. I don't want to be here sitting in this pain anymore. It's like, come on, am I not done yet? Please. But obviously, you got to feel the feels. you got to feel the pain to get through the pain, right? So I tried to do that. I tried to sort of just sit there with everything and kind of did. I think it got a little less heavy throughout the week. I started Friday off by just feeling kind of sad, waking up sad, thinking of him sad. And I decided because it was sunny that I was going to go on a walk. So I got my matcha and I walked all the way to London Fields and I sat on a bench. And as I was sitting on that bench, I realized that I was kind of looking around trying to feel out the space and wondering if I would bump into him ever. Like, what would I do if I bumped into him? The fear around that, the fear around if I saw him, what would I do? The pain, it would be overwhelming. And I don't want that. 
Anyway, I was kind of inspired whilst I was sitting there. I ended up writing a little poem and I want to share that with you today. I'm here again, missing him again, a pain in my chest, a cavern, a lost breath. People wander by, I wonder, is that him? I'm nostalgic for the past, but it's spring, a new beginning. The breeze touching my face feels like the ghost of his embrace. I know it's just a wave. I was growing, reaching, safe, and now crashing. But this is not the shore. This is a new beginning. And I posted that to Instagram shortly after I wrote it and it was weird. I kind of felt, I felt a little bit better after putting something so vulnerable out there for everyone to see. I'm not a poet, you know, like it's not something that is my career. It's not my profession, but I am a creative person and I like writing. And I feel like poetry is one of the most vulnerable ways of expressing how you feel in some kind of way. And yeah, it felt really good to kind of just put everything that I was feeling into that short poem and just post it. It helped me uh, delve into those feelings and kind of just put them out there in a way that was like processing them. So really feeling the feelings and being vulnerable with them. And you'll never guess what happened following during that day. Like (laughs) It's actually kind of weird when you put things out into the universe. Sometimes they just happen. And it had been a day where I'd gone back home, done another podcast recording for Fox Given. And because it was really sunny and like a glorious day, like the start of spring, so amazing. I decided that I would go out on another walk. And I put music on this time and I was walking down to Shoreditch and I felt everything. I was like this glorious city, the people around, like everything seemed kind of magical. And I was suddenly feeling a lot, a lot lighter and really kind of at one with everything. Like the golden light was hitting everything. Everyone was in a way better mood. And I went down to one of my favorite matcha spots, got a matcha. And then I was going to walk to the little church garden that I spoke about in the beginning of the How to Heal a Heartbreak series, the place where I started this whole journey. I was just about to walk there to sit you know, drink my matcha. And then I was going to go back home. And just before I reached the garden, I saw someone crossing the road and I stopped in my tracks. I was in the middle of um, a kind of junction and in the safe pavement place. And I stopped. I was like, that's, that's him. Is that him? I couldn't tell. I wasn't wearing my glasses. So I was like squinting, like looking over. Is that him? This, no, it can't be. Like this is actually happening. And I literally just stood still watching him cross to the other side of the road. And then he saw me looking and paused And we were both standing there for a second, staring at each other across a wide road. So we weren't close. We weren't like shouting distance. We weren't saying hello distance. Just staring there, (laughs) standing there, staring at him. He stopped and I think I might have taken a step forward or maybe I just stood there still. I can't really remember. And he just turned the corner and walked the other way. And I stood there and I was just like, I can't believe that just happened. I just saw him. I've been scared of bumping into him. I've been scared of seeing him for so long. And it happened. And I felt all these emotions bubble up inside me. And I went to sit in the park and I sat on a bench 
and I felt my chin go wobbly and I felt the tears come to my eyes and the pain, the pain that I was so scared of feeling was there, just there. Yeah, I just sat with it. I just sat with it. I was like, I miss him and I miss, you know, all the amazing times that we had together. And we met in spring 2020. So this time of year does hold a lot of really naive and beautiful childlike vulnerability and like all of those memories surrounding the time that I fell in love with him. And I sat there and felt it all. And after I finished my drink, I decided to get up and walk home. And on the way home, I was still feeling the feelings and just sat there with that. And then when I got home, I sat and the feelings got less and less. And then I took a deep breath and I was like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I think that was okay. And I think I might have even made it a little bit more dramatic than it needed to be in the moment because I wanted to feel the pain, right? But what was the feeling that I actually felt when I first saw him? When I wasn't romanticizing and creating this story in my head, what did I actually feel when I saw him? Not much. In reality, not much. I created the feelings in that moment, but when I actually saw them, it was, you know, I was like, that's him crossing the road. He's there. Okay. And then I started feeling everything because I made it into a thing in my mind. And it took me back to something that my therapist had said to me, which was, I had told him that I was scared of bumping into my ex. And he asked me why, why am I scared to bump into him? What is the fear there? And I said, I think it's the pain. I don't want to feel that pain again. I've had enough of that pain. I don't want it. He said to me, what's so bad about that pain? What's so bad about feeling that pain? And I was like, I don't know, really. I guess it's not that bad to feel pain. And I think after that moment where I saw my ex, I really now understand that is that it wasn't the end of my life. You know, it wasn't a really dramatic thing. It might have made me sad for a little while and made me nostalgic and brought up some memories. But ultimately, the pain was okay to feel. It was really okay to feel. And that's, that's that really. That's the little story that I wanted to share with you before we dive into today's episode. And anyway, I hope I haven't bored you because this episode is so, so amazing. Um, I had a little bit of a problem with the technical side of things and the recording. It was my first virtual recording because Six is based in Florida. But regardless of the tech issues, this conversation was fascinating. I always love talking to Six and I love her point of view on everything. And I think that we we really brought up some interesting topics that you're all going to really, really love. So let's get into it. Here it is, Six. So hi, Six. Hi, hello. Thank you so much for coming back on. Obviously, this is like the re the evolution of the Heartbreak podcast, which you blessed us with last time. And now you're back. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> so you said something on your social media recently that really intrigued me. And it was the fact that you, back when you were working with Come Curious, identified as non-monogamous. And then you have now changed to back to monogamy. Yes. I think it's kind of difficult because as I get older, I realize that what 
values I may have or what I need from relationships change. And also yeah. uh, with age, you just kind of try different things out. Age and experience, you try different things out. You've seen people try different things out. And then it, you kind of get to this place where it's like, okay, so how am I going to do what is going to make me happy based off of my unique personality? What am I going to do? I am still open to non-monogamy it's not like I've completely thrown that out the window it's more like I think that every relationship especially if it's serious and it's just you know two people coming together and there's no previous relationships should probably take time to build that first relationship and like I think that most poly people would actually agree with that there are some people who I feel like and have observed just kind of collect relationships and there be as much depth as there is delusion in that yeah there might be some depth but is this actually depth or is this you it's easy to pick up what you need from this person it's easy to go to dark places with a person or intimate places with a person but when it really comes down to I think things that create permanence in a relationship does that relationship actually have that does it have the time to actually build that or is it this relationship didn't actually have any of that in the first place so I think having a variety of relationships or like even like watching people have different types of relationships have put me to this point where personally I would like to have one Mm-hmm. relationship with someone which is actually a lot harder to attract I think yeah. that people really recognize especially if you're not in a major city and then two once I'm in a stable relationship with someone I would be open to exploring different conversations but it takes time I think more than anything what's happened is I slow down my process a lot yeah I think what you said at the beginning there is just so true is that as we get older and grow we learn so much about ourselves and what we want and it's you know you can't just say you're non-monogamous forever because you don't know who's going to come into your life and it takes experiencing the different relationships to figure out what you what you want and I'm gonna go further into that conversation later but I I would really like to um, kind of start at the beginning and ask you, how did you learn about love and relationships? Where did that start for you? That is such a good question. I've actually spent a lot of time unpacking that. And I even like, you know, I this is not a sponsorship for BetterHelp. That being said, <laughs> I do have a therapist from BetterHelp who's actually really amazing. Uh, I think that I've learned a lot about relationships through trial and error and also just listening to like little educational resources, uh, like, uh, the school of life, which is, I think a London based thing. Yeah. They do those little like dating cards. I was actually talking about it with my friends the other day that, cause I was like, you know, sometimes you go on a date and you don't really know what to say or ask and they give you like a set of cards that you can bring them to a date and get them out, get the questions out. I love it. I think that's such a good idea because going on dates and like not even knowing where to begin. Like, I feel like there's, and dating is, dating is like a, a, a little like, uh, t- terrain like you really have to like be open to anything that could show up like oh it's a wild married person and they're not gonna tell <laughs> you <laughs> oh my goodness look at that the polyamorous yeah. couple who like no disrespect but no no not yet oh my god you want me to be a unicorn I gotta run I gotta <laughs> I gotta run away uh oh no it's a chad so I, I definitely <laughs> A Chad, a wild Chad. Um, (laughs) So it's just kind of been like this thing where I've learned through trial and error. And unfortunately, my first exposures into relationships have been kind of rough, but I've always been into love ever since I was a child. So I was like an eight year old who would walk up to older married couple and ask them, hey, like, 
how did how long have you been together like how do you make marriage work yeah no I was like that kid who just was always really passionate about understanding love and what it meant to other people that is so that's so interesting as well I'm sure there's like a deeper reason like why you as a child were so inquisitive about that Maybe, maybe it could be because my parents didn't end up staying together. And it also could be, I did grow up seeing my grandparents um, stay together, you know? So I think just the awareness that every relationship is a little different. And also knowing that I, you know, I, I enjoy relationships. I enjoy love. Like I'm the type of person where I am actually very comfortable being single. It's more so now I think that the one thing that I've kind of recognized is my bad experiences with dating and how, what I've learned is to be boundaryless. And I think a lot of women, and I'm sure some LGBT and even like men, I'm sure most people can relate to entering a relationship and feeling like love not only is unconditional, but it's elastic that you can Mm. like expand and expand and completely like, go beyond what you really should be doing and what's reasonable for another person. And I think I've also carried that expectation for people as well, like that it's just supposed to be this, you give as much as you possibly can to this person. Really people don't actually even need that. Yeah. And where did you learn that from? Like where, where do you think you got that kind of idea of what love is? I think it's probably just how love is romanticized in the U.S. probably. Yeah. To some extent, I do think that there is just this this cultural blanketed lesson of if you love someone, this is what you do. It's like the, the issue of if, like if and you would, like if and would kind of shows up a lot. And I also think that Unfortunately, some people get into relationships and like they also just believe that that is how it should be. And I I would even go as far to say I've definitely had like mistaken beliefs as well. Like you're all young and I don't think that even the people who have love in their own life figured out can Mm -hmm. tell somebody else what they need from a relationship. Yeah, we grew up with Disney. You know the person well. Yeah. All the movies, all the TV, everything around us was this like white picket fence, like man, like Prince Charming kind of, you know, story. So that is what we all started with. Yeah, I would definitely say most of us. And I definitely think that there Disney is a complicated one. Like I actually uh, did not, like I... As a kid, like I've watched the Disney movies, but I kind of thought they were weird just because like, being um, Black American has made me aware of how Disney has like just kind of blatantly lied <laughs> or taken mm-hmm. stories and like completely distorted them. And um, as a kid, this might just be me being like a weird scorpionic person. <laughs> I'm, I, I just knew about the grim fairy tales. So and alongside like watching these Disney movies, I also was just aware of like these grim fairy tales of how things couldn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that like what um, really kind of got me actually when it comes to love and relationships. I don't know if you ever saw the musical, The Sound of Music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually say um, that relationship. I can't remember what the I think she was the eldest Von Trapp uh, sister, but her, her relationship with that guy where it's like they have this whole song where he's undermining her expertise because she's like a little bit younger and. I think that that song stayed rent free in the back of my brain and like having this assumption that I think really it's to me, it's a little less than Disney that I think gave me like the mentalities that I have and more of this collective attitude that women should be protected, that women are not capable of figuring out like what to do that girl, like, and also like, it's like the fact that it's like people will still call grown women girls. Yeah, You know, so I think that we genuinely have a culture that subconsciously undermines um, specifically women. And how, how for you did that then materialize in your earliest relationships? I think 
entering relationships where I was looking for someone to be a guide. And Mm. also where I think a lot of uh, men are kind of conditioned to uh, not necessarily be a coach or a guide, but to be a leader. So I think what's difficult then is I don't necessarily know that they're conditioned to guide a partner as much as they are conditioned to have a partner and to expect that a partner is going to somehow validate their existence as well. And then um, on the other hand of that, it's like, but a, a woman, a female, a girl, what, like whatever they started off as is conditioned to be a partner. So then that there's a disconnect where it's like mm. you have one person who's like kind of subconsciously getting the feelings that they should be protected. They should be X, Y, and Z, and they yeah. should also be caring for their partner. But then you have the other person who that's not what they're being conditioned to do. They're being conditioned to be a provider, to be this, to be that. And that's not to say that that doesn't then end up resulting in some protective feelings. Like I know that when um, males, and I think even females produce, um, I think is vasopressin, which is uh, something produced during the orgasm, which would want, like make somebody want to be protective over their partner. So I'm not trying to dismiss that there's not something innately within people that makes them want to be protective. But I think a lot of uh, men, guys, men, whatever, males, they, that little grouping, unfortunately, just the conditioning they go through makes it difficult because you have some one person trying to manage multiple different things and like may not even know how to manage your own emotions may only know how to be a figurehead and show up and that's that's an imbalance right there yeah it's really interesting actually and this is so like prevalent and true through, I think, everything that we've ever learned. And I don't even know why this is like the first time that I'm really thinking about this. Like, this is probably one of the reasons why long-term relationships are a struggle because we we both have such different ideas on each side of the relationship of how a relationship should be and like yeah as as women we are taught to believe that we need that one person that's going to look after us and boys and men aren't taught that they're like you know just go out make your career get the money in and then that will just sort of like fit in somehow but they're not taught how to be in relationships whereas we're taught in a really problematic way how to be in relationships exactly I literally was just like doing a little bit of the reading of this but English common law decreed that a woman girl is the property of her husband until she's married if not her husband then her (sighs) uncle then the brother and that's something that I believe if if I'm not mistaken is something that happens around the world so one we do have this kind of it's unfortunate because we do have this world which there is either you have value or net worth And your net worth is dependent on your assets. A woman traditionally did not have net worth. She had value. She was an asset that added on to a male's net worth. So just even starting off with that, like reality, that, (laughs) that the relationships weren't necessarily even about the love that we idolize now. It was about value. It was about literal, like, is this person worth three shackles? Like... (laughs) It's actually mad and it's weird that we're still practicing all the same things. Like engagement rings are effectively buying your wife and we then accept that. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. And like, you know, your, your father still walks you down the aisle and gives you away because he's the one that owned you previously to your new husband. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's rough because I do think at this point in time, it's really romanticized. And I'm not Mm. someone who like would throw away like all the things. Personally, I don't wear rings. So like if I wore a ring, I, I, you know, wouldn't have a problem with it mostly. And it's less about the being brought and it's more of the, the, some, like, again, I'm kind of like, super on edge because I don't know why I feel like married people are just like they just like 
go and they like seek out like people who are single and it's just kind of <laughs> gross so I kind of like yes people can take off the ring but I like kind of like when people have little indicators of you know yeah. I, because you're not gonna walk around with a I'm wedded like on the forehead that being said like no like it's unfortunate because some of these tools um or some of these uh testimonies of love these little like mm. tokens of appreciation are just outright sexist yeah you know I think my problem for example going back to engagement rings is more so that if a woman proposes to her husband that that's going to be considered a negative thing or yeah. an emasculating thing as opposed to you know him doing the same thing like so yeah if the attitude like if whoever decides to propose first like good for them but if the attitude is one of sexism then it's really uncomfortable because it's like ah where does that sexism then linger in other aspects of the relationship this is so true and I was just thinking like if I I'm not completely anti-marriage at all like it's not something that I put high up on my list but like I still have that idea in my head that I would want to be proposed to because and like I don't I was like, I don't know if I could do that for someone else because there's still this idea in my head that I would need to see that visual kind of thing from a man that he is willing to want me or connect, like commit to me in that way. And that's like one of the only ways that men ever do that to a woman. It's so... It's so unfortunate because right now I feel like, you know, getting back to that original question that you asked me of where did I learn love? Yeah. Where did I learn relationships? <laughs> At this point in time, if I honestly feel like it's a real life experiment, mm -hmm. like I feel like my love life is such an experiment <laughs> right now that I would get, I would go on love is blind because yes. I'm just like, I don't even I don't know, maybe these, maybe these scientists, maybe these professionals, maybe these producers would be able to figure out a better mm -hmm. um, solution. Like that being said, like I do have a background, like that makes me aware of psych. So I, I also, I, I listen to other people's stories. Like I really, I'm just really into like learning about people's stories. That all being said, I, I genuinely kind of just feel like love is an ongoing conversation between two people that want to have it yeah that's beautiful I feel exactly the same way about my own love life like fully I mean I'm even podcasting the whole experience like it is a full-on experiment I'm just like on this little journey trying to figure it out Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. What were your first relationships like? Uh, okay, the first relationships that actually weren't bad were unfortunately online because I was homeschooled until college. So I had like a bunch of little digi relationships. Oh. And I don't, uh, if, if I met the person in person, then I like count it. If I didn't, then yeah. I don't. Okay. Uh, that being said, like we have to have had met while in the relationship. So like, yeah. no, we met once and then like we hung out and then we never met again, but we agreed to a relation. No, 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 no. It's got to be we're in the relationship and also like see each other during the duration of that. That's my yeah. little disease. <laughs> that being said, I really am not a huge fan of long distance relationships because I feel as though it's too much imagination. I think a lot of us can be delusional or have fantasies in our head based off of like how we think about the world. But there are billions and billions and billions of different perspectives that like if I'm doing something that feels so entirely online and I'm not even really getting a taste of this person's life, I'm not I'm not really there. I'm not really present. Then mm. so then the relationships that did end up being in person, the first one not good, not good at all. This guy, unfortunately, did a lot of um, just emotional manipulation to coax me out of saying I love you, of even like how our first, like how we got to the point of even having sex was just like a lot of like manipulation, a lot of using the term love and the commitment of telling someone you love them yeah. to uh, to get what they wanted. After that, mm-hmm. I think that my relationships like became a little bit lighter. That being mm-hmm. said, I think that a big part of my relationship problems have just been literally me not being ready for a relationship. I think that there are some people out there even mental health professionals who will go as far to say there's no bad time for a relationship. Like when you want to be in a relationship, you be in a relationship. I don't think that's true. I do think there's a bad time to be in a relationship. Yeah. Cause if you're at a point where you're not feeling super secure about yourself, like how can you be there in a relationship and really turn up for that relationship? And yeah, it's a difficult one. Cause I've definitely heard professionals like psychiatrists and people say that quite often is that you know every single relationship is a learning experience so there's never a bad one but you're right like maybe your time would have been better spent outside of that relationship and actually choosing to be single yet because the narrative is the world is obsessed with love and partnership we feel like we have to always be seeking partnership Exactly. And I think what's really hard and even possibly alarming is how many people don't know how to be by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're not taught, <laughs> we're not taught that at all. Like we're taught how to look for relationships and be in relationships, even though it's obviously we're not taught it in a really great way, but we're never taught that it's okay as a woman to be single. You know, what's really funny, Florence, like if (laughs) if I like imagine, like, how do you teach somebody to be single? And then like I'm imagining having a child be like, hey, hey there, babe, you need to like go outside, no phone all by yourself, no siblings, no cousins, no anything and just find something to do. That child might feel like that's a punishment. In fact, some people I feel like would even argue that's abusive when in reality um that's independence that's independence and it's very interesting because i think that some of the pre-existing narratives that we hold about what is acceptable treatment of a human and what Mm. like people should expect outside of a relationship influence how people are able act able to actually even be single or like be able to truly enjoy a relationship like for example 
I would love to have a home with a partner. That being said, I would also love for us to have two separate places, if not two separate yeah. rooms. And when I tell people that they like, then there's this negative ideology, but in reality, I would even go as far to say like some people need that space. 100%. And I feel like it's becoming increasingly common that I hear friends making those decisions, like to either have separate places, like to not move in with each other or just to have two separate rooms in the place that they do live in together. I think and it's, it's hard idea. because I think that, you know, one thing that I've thought about is I'm sure a lot of polyamorous people don't enter relationships with this ideology of like, all right, this is how we save money or this is how money is to beat up. But realistically, it's like when I've stopped to think about polyamorous relationships and why they could make sense um, for some people, I don't know if it was really like it makes sense for me, practical reasons to be in a polyamorous relationship, because when I learned about poly relationships, it was more from a practical perspective than it was an emotional one. Mm. And the practical reason um, was more so, let's say that like uh, people are living in a terrain where it made more sense to have multiple husbands, for example, it just made it easier to live or in more like stereotypical traditional poly polygamous relationships, how there'd be a bunch of almost like sister wives and like that camaraderie was built. Uh, so I I've sat down and like have thought about like practical ways that this could work, even financial reasons why this could work. Like realistically, if you have a, um, if you have a poly relationship, whether or not you have kids or not, if all three people are contributing, you can end up getting like a very spacious place. This is very true. I feel like quite often people move into like move in together. It's mainly practical. Like I don't think anyone really makes the decision because of like love anymore. <laughs> I feel like it's always like, so, you know, we've been dating for a while and it would make sense financially if we both lived in the same place. Like for me, <laughs> I feel like it's more so disappointing because it's, I think that it's like a, a, big, a big part of me can practically sit down and be like, I get that. But on yeah. another side of me, going back to like that Disney thing, it's like to some extent that that, that Disney-fying of, oh my gosh, we loved each other. And that is why we decided to make these adult decisions rationally and clear-mindedly. A part of me wants to wonder, uh, is it that these people truly were emotionless about it? Or mm. is, you know, did they need a push? So to go a little bit back to what we were talking about about at the beginning of the podcast why did you decide that non-monogamy was for you in the first place like what where did that exploration of non-monogamy start I was pretty much aware of it since I was very young like I just oh. knew that it was reality. Like I remember poly relationships being featured, I think on National Geographic's, like on the Learning Channel in the States, like, you know, you're seeing poly relationships. I think that when I went into graduate school, the possibility of being in an open relationship it, like it was something that I was like, okay, like this is something that like it's been done for centuries. Like this isn't a new concept. Um, let's see if we can give it a go. That being said, unfortunately, most poly encounters that I've come across just have not been it. Like it's, <laughs> it just hasn't been it. it like kind of like, I think a lot of relationships more idealistic than actually realistic. Yeah, I totally agree with that as well. I was seeing this um, poly guy when I was in LA and it kind of just came, it became quite apparent like after a couple of months of seeing him that he wasn't really like, this is I guess where the ethical non-monogamy word does sort of come in. Or like, I don't feel, I don't feel like he was treating it with the respect that, non-monogamy actually deserves like it was all more like 
it felt like he was using it as an excuse, but not actually emotionally being there for the partners. Like he would get what he wanted out of the situation and like have a partner for this and a partner for that, but he wouldn't actually be emotionally supporting any of his partners. He just have three people that he was seeing at the same time and call it Polly. That is exactly, exactly why I do not, like blindly believe in poly relationships. Mm-hmm. Not again, idealistically in a perfect world. Yeah. That being said, you take a, you take, and I'm going to go ahead and like pick on men here. You take a man. Um, and typically I, I have not had, um, a lot of intimate experiences with trans men. So trans men not forgetting about you. It's just, this might be a cis male issue. Maybe this is also yeah. a trans male issue. That all being said, um, I just genuinely feel like some cis males j- just don't understand their own emotions. This is something that is, I think, kind of, if I'm not mistaken, empirically discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, like, you know, like, so it's like you take someone who really just might not be able to give all into a relationship you put them into a relationship and then you give them the, like the leeway to just have multiple relationships. And I don't really know that any lessons are growing for that. And I understand, like, you know, you made the point earlier how a lot of professionals will say, Hey, you know, every relationship is a lesson. If you're digging for the lessons, like some of these things are not actually lessons. Like they're just people playing um, playing, playing the field, playing a game, wasting time. Like some of this is yeah. not actually learning. Yeah. I think you do really have to be aware of that when going into non-monogamy, because there are a lot of people that are there for the wrong reasons and for not like, they're not really the type of people that you should be engaging with. Um, I know for, yeah, for me, this guy, like we had like one argument after I decided to end our relationship and he just ghosted me. And I'm like, I thought we had like a deep connection here and now you're just disappearing on me. And that's when I realized what sort of guy he was. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here like and say, you know, all poly people. I'm sure that I've (laughs) seen like I've seen on the outside looking in like just as much as you can from any relationship, poly, monogamous, whatever, like like look on the outside in and be like, well, those people seem happy. I feel like I've seen a lot of poly people who seem happy. I do think that poly can work. Like I, I do think that for some people, if they have the emotional capability to have multiple partners and they are emotionally there for each individual partner, then I think that's being successfully poly. And to be fair, like, you know, we like have this conversation about how relationships even started. Like, Mm. you know, maybe that guy isn't wrong. Maybe for him, relationships are always just going to be that surface level, kind of like the Tinder swindler. Did you see that yet? Yeah, I did. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh shit. (laughs) Yeah, that was yeah, mad. really. I really saw that. And it just kind of was one of those things where I really felt for the women. So yeah, because I was just like, I, I, I understand how like, you know, people would be like, whoa, you well, you had these trips, you had these money. Yeah, but like they were they obviously financially invested, which means they were probably dating someone that they mm-hmm. thought was like, on like, you know, like a like an actual realistic partner. They weren't like, you know, they're very beautiful, well-cut women. Like they probably thought this is going to be more real than it was. That all being said, I use that as an example of yeah. yes, monogamous people too. You know, if somebody's going to be a liar, a deceitful person, a scammer, yes. that's just who they're going to be, whether or not they're poly or monogamous. Mm-hmm. Now getting into what we need, like, realistically i i i kind of just thought and assumed that relationships were innately deep and emotional and yeah when people say the term serious i thought this was supposed to be this soul bonding and when i say soul i really mean the personality the faith like all of these things come together between two people yeah I, that's a very romanticized idea of what a relationship is and it seems as though not everybody 
wants that from a relationship and that's fine too. Yeah. Not everyone connects like that. So going back to what you said at the beginning about when you kind of moved away from non-monogamy and sort of have been looking back at monogamy, you were talking about there being a certain like foundation of monogamy set at any kind of start of a relationship, which I find quite interesting. And I think it it sounds quite significant, you know, like I know a lot of, well, in previous episodes with uh, Kelsey, she, you know, her and her partner started off non-monogamous in an open relationship and they still are today. But I've also heard a lot of people who have non-monogamous relationships, they start it with monogamy and have a foundation there. Why is that important for you? It's important for me because I'm, when I first meet someone um, or when I get into a relationship with someone, first meeting someone, people oftentimes have on their best face. Yes. And best face is meaning that they are showing you what they think they want you to see. Uh-huh. Or even if they're just being themselves, like they're not comfortable yet. You know, there's a little bit of nervousness there. When people get into a, a relationship, a committed relationship with you, in my experience, that that person starts showing even more of who they are. And like, you really start to see yeah. who they are behind the layers. So to me, I would want to start off monogamous first. I probably, at least with my primary relationship, yeah. I don't know that I, I think that if I get into something that's non-monogamous, it'll be heavily dependent on the person that I'm with. But mm-hmm. right now my, my, the focus is on like developing a strong foundation with a primary partner or one yeah. partner, because I, I think that like, I kind of went through life very much like rose colored glasses on. And now I'm kind of at a point where I went on a date with someone and like, he was like, oh, you seem standoffish. And I'm like, because I don't know you. And he was like, well, I don't know you either. And I was like, exactly. Case in point, we don't know each other. That's probably why I'm standoffish. So it's like, you know, like I've kind of assumed this position of, I'm not going to assume a deeper connection or like operate where there is not necessarily a connection. Like even like on first dates, um, apparently like a survey, I wish I had it like available to me right now. I could get it, but like a survey, um, done by the Kinsey Institute actually showcased that now we're starting to have an increase or, uh, that like, I think 40 to 50% of people do not actually believe in sex on the first date. So I think we're starting to reach a point, especially after the pandemic, where people are slowing the F down and realizing we are, we aren't all strangers, but we're kind of strangers. Come on. Oh my God. This is, it's so funny that you're bringing this up because I've been having that realization about myself because I've always been very pro like sex on the first date. And it's something that I, I kind of, you know, I'm all for, and sometimes I think that I want that. And Recently, I have been on a couple of dates where it kind of just ended up being sex pretty much like immediately because it was kind of like initially like from fields, so it was like a casual thing. And I was just like, I'm looking for something casual. So the sex was initiated quite quickly. And then really like stepping back from that, I was like, yeah, like I didn't connect with that at all. I was just, I just felt really dead inside. Like I didn't, I wasn't there for the intimacy because hang, hang on. I I don't know you like, and I want to know you. Like I want to have that intimacy with you before, before sex. And when I looked back to my last relationship, I realized, you know, the whole first month of that relationship was virtual because of COVID. So we had built up this huge amount of intimacy and knowledge between each other and anticipation that like the first time we had sex was so amazing and so connected because we had already had such groundwork there when it came to intimacy. So I really hear you on that. I've been having the same like realization with myself is that I want to build before I sleep with someone because the sex is so kind of empty without that. And and I also would go as even far to say there are so many little 
indicators of like actual compatibility. And I also think with the evolution of sex tech, like people just being able to put on VC, like the Oculus, the headsets and like kind of tap out and watch porn, like, you know, almost as if it's happening before their eyes. And of course the technology isn't like that flawless where you, you can't recognize this as a technological thing, Mm -hmm. but like with all that happening, with everything switching to digital, with like people who even I, you know, like I not to shame like guy gamers or gamers in general, but with everything <laughs> kind of blending between tech and life to mm. actually share physical intimacy with someone. And I'm not saying just sex, physical intimacy, touching, hand holding, kissing, caressing hugging like there was a point like during yeah. this um, pandemic where a guy like just told me I just want to hug you yeah for period of time and I was like that's kind of intense bro because like <laughs> I, I think it's important that we go about these markers slowly mm. because even in like in our sex lives it's like if we speed through these things then eventually I think now more than ever we can start to tap out as if it's not exactly as real or if it's something where it's like, oh, wow, you know, like I was able yeah. to get this. And I think to some extent people are, uh, I've, I've noticed some people to some extent might be a little disassociated from their body. I think I tapped out during the last time I had sex. Yeah. So it's like that. I, I think that it's like that. I think everything that's happening right now one, the human experience is wild. Where did we come from? What's going on? Like, why are we here? What happens when, you know, like that's a weird thing as well. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, now it's like, you're like another human has spawned. Like, <laughs> so it's like, and this other human, it's like, you, you get to know them and then it's almost animalistic. Like this, ah, I connect with you. It feels good. Like dopamine. I want to, ah, and like for a lot of, uh, I think people, like more so men than I would say women, LGBTQ people. It's really hard for me to like have such an opinion because I yeah. feel like to some extent it's a minority within them. Like, yeah. So I think specifically with men, like the way that they're conditioned to be emotionally disengaged I think haste is probably the worst approach when it comes to them. And I genuinely believe if someone values you and values the connection, it's because it left them thinking of the other person in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's kind of beautiful. I think it's really amazing that we're all having this realization. I mean, I I wonder like the people listening to the podcast, what they think. Also, like maybe on the Patreon page, on the Discord, this could be part of the conversation. That would be really cool. But yeah, so just to round everything up on this episode, wow, this conversation has been amazing, by the way. So thank you. But I do like to ask little cute questions at the end. So when was the first time that you fell in love? I have actually been thinking about that. Like, I don't... I want to say the, and I'm not saying this to be like power femme, truly. Mm. I am truly saying this because I think this is the right answer. Yeah. It probably was around seven or eight. Like I genuinely did fall in love with myself first. Like I, there, like I've definitely felt like strong, like just strong attraction to myself, feelings for myself and appreciation for myself. It's when I dated other people that I had to question that. But now, like, especially wow, after being yeah. single for so long and like even during COVID, love really does start with self. It really does. And I feel like it's the answer to all successful relationships as well is, you know, loving yourself first. Right. Although I don't know if I like the term successful relationship, because I think every relationship is a journey and a challenge and what is success really. But um, so what is love to you and how would you describe it? Love is like I told you before, the willingness to have the continuous conversation, it is exhausting to speak because when we speak and when we answer questions, we're not like some people, it's a little bit different, but for a lot of people, I I would say even possibly people who identify as neurodivergent, 
it can be a question leads them down a memory lane of Mm. like maybe haunting or difficult memories. And there are conversations that can take people back to points where they felt powerless. And I think the absence of being able to have those conversations might be indicative of someone who doesn't have the capacity to hold a person. And that being said, there are also relationships where people don't need to talk and perhaps like, like even if people don't need to talk that much, I would say being able to have a conversation about uh, finances, being able to talk about like, do you want to have kids? Do you not want to have kids? Why? Like being able to talk about the future and not just trying to plan a future and expecting somebody who's going to go along it, like actually being two people together. Like to me, love is, love is a commitment. It is genuine care for the other person. And it's also, this is going to be a hot take, the willingness to parent and be parented by another person. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think I relate to all of that. I think like in love, having those moments that are so pure where you just have those really deep conversations with each other and you can really hold each other, especially like in the, in the parenting sense as well, like really, really care and really be there for each other. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a beautiful definition of what love is. So thank you. Thanks for coming on. Where can the listeners find you? Oh my goodness. Uh, Well, thank you for having me. Pretty much all of my sources will either be at Black Woman Being, which is on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I've started to kind of build out like my own personal, just kind of me, just being me and blogging. So if you want to follow me at Monisha Holmes, M-O-N-I-S-H-A-H-O-M-E-S, that can be done on TikTok as well amazing instagram awesome is that more like lifestyle kind of content or just just you just me living just you living (laughs) which sometimes i think is what we need to be seeing instead of like you know these branded kind of things we just need to see real yeah real human beings let's let's take it back to that so thank you thank you so much thank you Wow, that conversation was incredible. I didn't want it to end. I could chat to six for hours when it comes to relationship stuff. We just bounce off each other in such an amazing way. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. If you did, I would love it if you left a review of the podcast and always rate it, subscribe, follow, all of that jazz because it means the world. To see to see and hear what you think of the podcast means the world to me. So it would be wonderful if you could do that and also share it with your friends. I think there's something in this podcast for absolutely everyone. And as always, just a reminder about the Patreon community. If you want to be a part of that, that is patreon.com slash lovehigh. There's a discord. So there's like a live chat going on, trying to build a little community there so that, you know, if you're going through anything shit, whether it's related to a breakup, relationship, being single, feeling lonely, there is a community here that will listen and answer your questions. And obviously I'm, I'm there as well. So I will also be there answering all of your questions and that's only one pound a month. So it really is, you know, it's you supporting the podcast and yeah, being part of the Love High community if you are a Love High lover. And if you want to hear more from me, I'm on Instagram at Florence Bark. And as this is a very long episode, I'm going to leave you in peace, let you get on with the rest of your day. So bye, my loves. I will see you next Monday.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.